0: Merry Christmas. Welcome to Redemption Parker. I see some family in town, and we're glad you're here with us. We're glad to gather on this night as a faith family and just celebrate. Celebrate that God didn't leave us in the darkness, but he entered in with his light. So, Merry Christmas. Uh, Everyone's got stuff to go to tonight, I assume. If you don't, talk to us and we'll we'll invite you to someone else's party. Or or ours, I don't know. Either way, wherever the best one is. Uh, But uh, we know that you you are waiting to uh, get on with it. You're waiting to uh, go have the feast and the the, the food and the drinks and the family and uh, maybe presents. anybody here do uh, Christmas Eve presents? You open up those? Okay. Got a few. Who does... presents only on Christmas Eve. Anybody? Only Stuart. (laughs) He's like, okay, because that's wrong. He doesn't know how to wait till the morning. But um, no, we, we, we know that we're all longing, waiting for something. Uh, I want to give you a, a, a gift tonight, uh, the first gift of your Christmas Eve, and that is I'm going to be real short tonight. So I'm going to have a short message. Merry Christmas. Amen. And then you're going gonna to go and, and enjoy the rest of your night. We've got four songs after this to kind of just ring us out. But um, we, we love Christmas because it's this time where we long to uh, just remember and press in and wait. But, but none of us, I haven't met any American at least that is good at waiting. Anybody you would say, I'm, I'm great at waiting. Like my whole life, I'm just waiting. No, like we, we don't like waiting. We, we see waiting almost entirely in, in negative terms. And, and so I remember uh, Christmas, I was middle school. My mom, uh, I was a latchkey kid. I think they call them free range kids now. That just meant that uh, my mom worked and then I'd come home. I'd have like three hours to myself and she'd try to build this anticipation for Christmas. And she, so she'd put presents under the tree and, and I, I would go and, and I, 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 I had like three hours. And so I, I saw one. I was like, that looks like, a Nintendo video game. And I'm like, yes. And so I'm just, I got three hours. So I'm very carefully taking the, like, I think I steamed it or something like that, uh, where I'm opening up the present. I'm like, yes, it is the football game I want. I'm going to play it now. And so I slid that thing out, put in some old game that I was bored with back in that box and slid that in there. And for the next three weeks after school, I was jamming on that thing every every day. But so by the time Christmas came around, I was bored with it. And, and so I still had to open the gift and act surprised, act like, oh, thanks, Mom, just what I wanted, right? Like I lied, but you know, that's what Christmas is about anyway. Jesus came for that. But um, Nevertheless, we we aren't good at waiting, right? Like we are the least capable waiting people in the history of the planet, right? Like twenty first century America, su- suburban, like you aren't made to wait. Like you're, you're told to have it now. So that's what our economy is kind of based on. Like, uh, if you can't afford it, that's okay. Don't wait. Just finance it. Like, get that Lexus with the, the bow in your driveway. If you got a Lexus this, this night, uh, praise God for that. But uh, if you financed it, shame on you. Um, we just can't wait. Like, we're, we're, we're terrible at waiting. Now, now, the reason I say that is because we are in the season of Advent. And Advent we think of as almost entirely in terms of this moment, this night, Christmas Eve, Christmas morning. But in church history, that's not what Advent was for. Advent in church history was using the first coming of Jesus to look forward to, to long and press into the second coming of Jesus. That was what Advent was for. Did, did you know that that historically in church history, they, uh, they would take Advent as a time of fasting, and prayer and longing for the second coming. I'm thinking about this. I've I've never fasted and prayed for Jesus to come again. Uh, part of me is like, well, he's just going to come when he comes. So why should I fast and pray for that? I, I just need to move on with my life. But but in church history, uh, this was a time of longing, and and we think about it because throughout church history, the church hasn't been like 21st century America. They've been persecuted. There's been suffering and sickness and famine and drought. That There's still been brokenness. Even though Jesus has come and rescued and redeemed and there's a future hope, they're still in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the waiting and the longing. And so they would just come together and fast and pray and say, Lord Jesus, please come back. That's what Christmas, that's what Advent was about. It was about waiting and longing. And we see waiting as only negative like like the time in between the stuff that actually happens. And so we were like, well, I'm waiting to get done with high school so I can get into college, then I'll be happy. I'm in college, I'm waiting to get out, I'm waiting to find a girlfriend, then I'll be happy. I'm waiting to get married, then I'll be happy. I'm waiting to get my first job, I'm waiting to get our first house, I'm waiting to get a better job, I'm waiting to have our child, I'm waiting to have another child, I'm waiting for our promotion, I'm waiting for vacation, I'm waiting for retirement, and then then." What? I'm waiting to die, I guess. Like, but but we just think in between those times of waiting, when we're when we are waiting, nothing is happening, nothing gets good happening. And and tonight we're gonna look at two characters of Christmas, Simeon and Anna, as we continue in our series, the characters of Christmas, and they're gonna give us a gift if we have ears to hear. And the gift is that God is at work in our waiting. That that you are probably waiting for something always something good that God said, this is a good thing. And in your waiting, God, God is at work. It's not passive. We, we think of waiting, like going to the DMV pre-iPhone, right? Like no one's bored anymore. But like before you just had to sit there and you're like, man, this is terrible. But, but, but no, we, we wait with expectancy. We wait with expectancy. Actively. Well, we'll see. Well, let's look at it together. Uh, Luke chapter 2. So, we're going to look at these two characters that sometimes get overlooked in the Christmas story. Luke chapter two. I'll read the first few verses and then set up what's going on in this. Says and when verse twenty two of chapter two said when the time for their purification according to the law of Moses had come, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written, the law of the Lord. Every male who who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So this is what's happening. Jesus has been born about thirty-nine, forty days before this. Christmas has come. And in, in line with the, the commands of God, they, they were going to take their firstborn son to the temple, and they were going to offer him up and say, God, let this little life be your life. Let use it, set him apart for you, just like all good Jewish parents would do for the first son. And, and they would have to make an offering. And there was a provision in the law for the very poorest of the poor people in the in the world. They, they didn't have to do a lamb they could do uh, a pigeon. They, they, and, and so this is uh, Mary and Joseph. And it just tells us, again, something about Jesus coming on, putting on flesh, and being born to a penniless mother and father that had nothing. And so they're presenting him to the Lord. Now there's this guy that shows up named Simeon, this older guy. And he, him and Anna have this gift for us, this gift of example that, that I think God wants to shape and form in each of us. Because here's what I'm worried about for me and for you. I'm worried that we, we have these God-given longings, we have this God-giving angst, but we live in such a time of such comfort, security, and stuff that we can just placate those longings and those angst that God has put in us for him. We say, well, I, I don't like the way I feel. I, I, there's there's, there's got to be something else in life, so I'll just buy something or I'll try something new, or I'll go somewhere, or, or I'll, I'll change jobs. Like It doesn't matter. We have so many options that we can just continue to believe that the next thing or the next thing will satisfy our souls. But if we have ears to hear and see this morning, that, or this morning this evening, that, that God actually has a purpose for those angsts and those longings that are deep within our soul, then this is going to be a great gift for us. Look at Simeon, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem... Whose name was Simeon. Now, notice the, the descriptors that, that Luke is going to use of this man. The Bible doesn't throw around these descriptors lightly. But I've said before, when I grow up, I want to be like Simeon. Look what it says Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's righteous, he's devout, and he is waiting to to be righteous is to know the law to know what God requires and to walk in that path to de- be devoted to be singularly focused on God and his will his purposes his, his uh, that our affections would be his affections and then it says he is waiting and that word is not passive we we see waiting as almost entirely just sitting there passively but no this is a this is leaning forward waiting waiting for the consolation of Israel and the holy spirit was upon him so, so God is at work in his life, in the midst of his waiting. So let's just do a little bit of theology of waiting for a second. In Genesis, when sin entered into the world, the first curse that came down uh, to the serpent was that, that God is going to send someone to crush the serpent's head, to, to do, do away with his, his ways and with sin. Why didn't God, who is all-powerful, knows all things, and can do whatever he wants, why didn't God in that instant just bring Jesus in and crush the head of the snake and sin is vanquished? No, he caused his people to wait and in the waiting, he was doing something in them. And so years and decades and generations and, and centuries went by so that Abram comes up and, and God says, hey, you're, you're, you're 90 years old. You've been waiting your whole life for a son. You haven't had him. You're going to have a son, Abram. And he's like, yes. But then he makes him wait 10 more years. 10 more years when he's 100 years old. He has Isaac. And the promise is fulfilled you fast forward, the people of Israel are, are enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, waiting, longing, praying for God to deliver them. And then finally he sends Moses and delivers them. But, but the story of God's people is one of waiting upon the Lord, not passively, but actively. So he'll send prophets, and the prophets will begin to foretell the time that is coming when, when the Messiah is going to come. He's going to take on flesh. He'll send Isaiah, and Isaiah will say, He's going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. And then 700 years are going to go by before we get to this scene. It's a long time of waiting it's been 400 years since God has spoken through any prophet and yet here in the temple, 400 years later, there is this guy Simeon. He is righteous. He is devout and he is waiting, actively waiting for God to show up. 400 years. I can wait for like 10 minutes but he is saying, no, we we believe God is a God who keeps his promises. We're going to long for this. We're going to lean into this. This is what he does. This is in Um, I'm in a different scene. There it is. The Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he, he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the Spirit said, hey, a day is coming when you're going to see the Savior, the Messiah And every day he went to the temple looking, longing, waiting. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So here's Mary and Joseph with their 40-day-year-old baby. And then this old guy comes running up with wild eyes. He's been longing and waiting his whole life to see this. And he takes the baby out of their hands and he lifts him up and he begins to praise God. I just imagine Mary and Joseph are, are are freaking out. In fact, it'll say in the next verse, they are marveling at what's going on here. And look what he says Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The Holy Spirit shows him this is the Savior of the world. And when you see Jesus, you see salvation. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, whether in Bethlehem's manger or on Calvary's cross or on his throne of glory where he will judge the quick and the dead, wherever we see Christ, we see the salvation of God. Peter would say this in his sermon in the book of Acts. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. If you've never looked to Jesus with eyes of faith, then you haven't received the greatest gift Christmas can offer you tonight. You can see salvation. Simeon saw salvation even in this little baby. And tonight, by grace through faith, you can put your trust in him and salvation will come into your life. He's praising God. Uh, And then He says, you can let your servant depart in peace. It's the ultimate mic drop. I've seen the Savior. I'm out. And he steps off the stage of history, probably dies shortly thereafter. But then there's also Anna down in verse 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. Sometimes we read the Bible too quickly without pausing and imagining by Holy Spirit-fueled imagination what is happening in this scene. So we have Anna, and they tell us when she was a virgin, she was married. So she was 13 or 14 years old. She was married, and for seven years she got to enjoy her marriage. But something happened. Some tragedy struck when she was 21. Her husband died. And we're not told how she processed that. It's now 62, 63, 64 years later. But, but we can imagine, right? If you're 21 years old and your husband dies, the, the, the brokenness, the lament, the heartache, that, that would what, what, did the, what did those prayers look like? What did those tears look like? Maybe she prayed, Lord, please, I want to be a, a, a mom. Please, let me, and I want to be a wife again. Please send someone. And maybe she prayed that for years and it never got answered. She prayed, Lord, Lord, I want to be, I, I just want to, I want to use this life to, to, to have a family. We, we get that, right? She prayed, and she prayed, and God didn't answer in that way. And we're told here that the years turned into decades, turned into 64 years, and something in that waiting has totally transformed who she is. She's a deeper, richer person as a result. Look at what happens in her life. It says that she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So her life, by the time she was 84, which would have been very, very old in the first century, she would go to the temple. That would be, on the one hand, to meet with the presence of God. On the other hand, that is how she survived, by the kindness of the people of God giving to her every day. But as she's waiting, she's not waiting passively. Look what it says. She says she was worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. She's waiting forward. She's longing. And it says and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of all of, to, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I wonder if we're waiting for the redemption of the whole cosmos and Jesus coming back. Have you ever spent any time just on your face, praying, fasting, Lord Jesus, come back? I think one of the reasons I haven't, maybe you haven't as well, is because we're really just too comfortable here. Well, We haven't learned the secret that that Anna had to learn, that when everything is stripped away and all you have is God, God is enough. He is more than enough. And so when we pray and we fast and we ask Jesus to come back, it's not to, not to make him change his mind and usher in, in a, a quicker time frame, but, but to change us, to make us more like him, make us more like Anna and Simeon. But even in this, Simeon reminds us that full redemption hasn't come. He, he's seen Jesus, but he says something to them that points to his second coming. Look at verse 33. And his father and his mother, Jesus and Mary, or Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, "Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It's just this kind of dark prophecy that, that Simeon gives to these parents hey, this is going to get bad before it gets good. It's going to be difficult. And even on this side of of the first advent, we still walk through brokenness. We still have longings unfulfilled. We still have pain, sickness, suffering, and death. And so he points our attention to the second coming, the one where Jesus will finally, once and for all, come and restore, renew all things. So just a couple questions as we close out. Some diagnostic questions like the check engine light of our soul that I asked myself this week. What are you doing with your angst and your longing? That, that, that really, that, that, that void that God has put in your heart that can only be filled with him, what are you doing with that? How do you handle that? How do you process that? And the second question that I think is kind of revealing is, is your life marked by gratitude and gladness or cynicism and anger? Gratitude and gladness or cynicism and anger. We see Simeon and Anna, they've got this, though they have nothing in this world, they have a gladness and a gratitude that surpasses all of us probably in this room. But when I see cynicism and anger kind of rise up in my soul, whether I'm driving or with my kids or in any number of situations, and I see that begin to boil up, It just is a reminder to me I'm living too much for my own moment, for my pleasure, for my people serving me rather than me pointing myself to God. So check those engine lights. And then tonight, as you go out in a few moments after we sing these songs, you're going to go and you're going to gather around some trees. You're going to open some gifts, and I hope they're awesome. Awesome. I hope that you got some amazing gifts tonight and tomorrow morning. I hope that you get some gifts that that when they open up, the children's face lights up and they're like, yes. And in that moment, you get just a shadow of the substance that is to come. In the delight of that gift, it's just a shadow pointing to the ultimate gift. Because we all know, those of us that are parents, that whatever gift you give your kids this week will probably be broken by January 1st. Whatever gift you give will ultimately go into a garage sale or a landfill. It cannot deliver soul satisfaction. Oh, it can hint at it, and I'm all for it. Enjoy the gifts, but when they don't deliver fully, let it be a catalyst for your remembrance of the ultimate gift that will never disappoint and never perish. When you gather and have a feast together, and you enjoy your food, and you enjoy your meal, and your cookies, and your chocolates... Later on in the night or maybe tomorrow morning, you're going to be hungry again. And in your hunger, let it just remind you a day is coming when Jesus will return and he's going to usher us into the wedding supper of the Lamb and we will eat and we will drink and we will be satisfied. When when you gather as family tonight, tomorrow, I hope that nothing of the last two years politically comes up in your conversations. I hope it's just a delightful Wonderful time, but even as things don't quite line up and as there's difficulty and tension, may that only serve as a reminder a day is coming when Jesus will gather all the sons and daughters of the kingdom, and there will be no political debate because he is king and he is good and he is on the throne and we will worship him so even in our tension in our family gatherings, they can be used to point us to Jesus coming, amen? Amen.